0: For me as a uni student, um, things that I don't want to do is from Matthew chapter 28, um, looking at what happens after Jesus was crucified, so his resurrection um, and also his great commission to his disciples. Before I begin, please join with me in prayer. Gracious Lord, thank you that you've given us your word um, and in it we see your great plans for this world, um, for all people to know you. Lord, I just pray that you would help us as we read your word. Um, Give us humble hearts, um, Lord, that are receptive to your words. And give us wisdom that we might know um, how to apply it in our lives. I pray for Pastor Felix. Please help him. um, Help him to preach your word faithfully and humbly and truthfully. I pray all these things in your son's most precious name. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. "'Greetings,' he said. "'They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. "'Then Jesus said to them, "'Do not be afraid. "'Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. "'There they will see me.' "'While the women were on their way, "'some of the guards went into the city "'and reported to the chief priests "'everything that had happened. "'When the chief priests had met with the elders "'and devised a plan, "'they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, "'telling them, "'You are to say,' His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted.
1: Thanks, Abby, for the Bible reading, and uh, a warm welcome to everyone. Good morning to you. Um, Great to see you guys again. And just another reminder to please uh, book in for the Christmas service, because uh, we are pretty sure that we are going to book out. So if you want to book yourselves a seat, please make sure you do that and book for your friends as well. Now, as we begin today, it's quite easy for us to sort of forget where where we're at at the beginning of Matthew chapter 28. Because we know the story, many of us know the story so well uh, that we just skip over what might have been happening at the beginning of this chapter. And you can only imagine, right, what they were thinking at the time. Huddled behind locked doors, hearing a noise outside and thinking, shh, who is it? Are they coming to get us as well? See, that, that, that fear of knowing that they put... Jesus wrongly on trial that they tortured, they crucified the one that they thought would save them all. Those people are lurking around every corner ready to put us to death because we follow Jesus. And there's more than just fear in the air. As they huddle together in their dark rooms with their locked doors, there's also this the sense of utter despair, right? It's a, it's a sense of utter despair that only comes when you've been lifted to the highest of highs, when you're like, finally, we've met the king, the Messiah, the promised one. We've seen his miracles. He has told us himself that he is the Messiah. He is the victorious king that entered Jerusalem on a donkey and witnessing all these things, all, all, only for these things to be shattered as they saw Jesus crucified on the cross. All there is to show for it now is his dead body lying somewhere in a tomb behind a huge rock. So we need to remember this as we come to this passage, right? It's it's now Sunday, the third day since Jesus died and was buried, and the two Marys are heading back to the tomb. Now, Now, we aren't told why here, but in the Gospel of Mark, we know that they're actually going to give Jesus a proper embalming. Right? because it's, it's the third day. Uh, the third day is usually when the body starts to decompose and they really need to start embalming the body. But when they get there, they're in for a rude shock. Uh, first, there's a, a violent earthquake. Uh, this is a really rare event historically. Uh, so when uh, geologists or whatever look back at that time, big earthquakes usually only happen around 90 to 100 years, every 100 years in that part of the world. Uh, but more significantly, throughout the Bible, earthquakes actually points to something happening on a cosmic scale. And so just as we read about a big earthquake happening, as Jesus breathed his last breath, the Son of God was put to death. So too now, three days later, as the women are walking towards the tomb, there's another big earthquake, another sign that something is happening and to prove beyond a doubt that this is indeed a sign of something happening on a cosmic scale that God is at work an angel of the Lord comes down from heaven, rolls back the stone at the entrance of the tomb and sits on it. Now this small detail might escape us, right? But the angel rolling back the stone covering the tomb that's actually a really extraordinary event. Because in a, in a world where there aren't any cranes or, or trucks with winches that you could pull really heavy items, this would have taken someone with superhuman strength to do, right? There's some archaeological evidence uh, pointing to tombs uh, being sealed by a heavy stone like this, and it's actually raised up at the beginning. And they unwedge the rock, uh, supposedly, and it rolls down a shallow ramp to close it shut So think about it. If you wanted to open the tomb, you need to push that rock up against gravity with all the friction of the two stones uh, together on that earth to push it out of the way, right? This was no ordinary human feat. But then there's the appearance of the angel. We're told they look like lightning. See, even for myself, uh, when I'm driving around or if, if I'm in my house, Uh, after seeing all the storms in my lifetime, sometimes the sudden appearance of a flash of lightning in the sky can still stop me in my tracks and and make me go, wow, that was something to behold. And that's just a momentary flash of light miles away. Imagine coming face to face with someone with the appearance of lightning. Imagine how blindingly bright that would be, how overwhelming to the senses that would be. These aren't exactly the the angels that our popular culture or our media tells us to believe, right? We we have pictures of fair-skinned human beings uh, with white robes, maybe with a pair of soft, fluffy wings playing the harp. But the Bible's description of God's messengers are actually most of the time quite terrifying. See, it's a picture of as they come from God's holy presence, even that little residual holiness of God, that 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 sort of are rubbed off as they're in the presence of God, even that little bit of holiness is just overwhelming to behold. Appearance as lightning, clothes white as snow, basically the whitest thing that they could think of to describe the clothes at the time. And it's such a frightening sight that even the guards themselves who are posted by Pilate to guard the tomb, they're completely freaked out. They shake and become like dead men. And let's think think about that for a minute. Because the religious leaders, they asked for these guards to be put there. Why? Because these Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were paying attention to what Jesus was saying. Jesus had said that he would rise on the third day. And so they were like, okay, let's stop anything dodgy from happening. These disciples, they're probably going to steal the body of Jesus. So we're going to put a big, intimidating guard there to make sure no one steals the body of Jesus, right? But even these guards, as intimidating as they were supposed to be, they're just terrified of what they see. And rightly so, right? If we imagine uh, seeing face-to-face someone with an appearance of lightning, we too should be terrified. But to the two women... This angel speaks these wonderful words. Do not be afraid. How comforting would those words be if you're faced with this scene. Do not be afraid. And why should these two Marys not be afraid? Well, it's not just that the angel is saying, oh, I'm not here to harm you. You don't have, to, you don't have anything to worry about, even though that would have been very comforting. But they have a better reason for them not to be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus, the one crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. See, why should they not be afraid? Well, Jesus, the one that they thought they believed was God's Messiah, God's chosen King, the one that they trusted in, the one that they said they thought would bring them eternal life, life under God's kingdom. They don't need to be afraid because Jesus is no longer here, no longer in the tomb. He has risen exactly as he said he would. See, Jesus had already predicted three times before in the Gospel of Matthew, him rising from the dead, right? Three times he said that he would come back from the dead. But it appears that the, the disciples didn't really quite understand what was going on, even though even the, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they sort of caught on, but the disciples never did. But now, maybe, it was starting to get clear. It was becoming clear to them. Do not be afraid, because everything is happening exactly as Jesus said it would happen. Even his death, and now him rising from the grave. Don't be afraid, because Jesus was right. He's not in the tomb anymore. And this angel even invites the women, to come, come, take a look, see for yourselves the empty tomb. Come and see the empty spot where Jesus once lay. Now, some of you might have known uh, that a few weeks ago, we've had to put down our dog of 12 years down. And for many months even, uh, I was preparing myself uh, to mourn for my dog as her health started to deteriorate and I could see that she was no longer enjoying her life anymore. But it was still a very powerful moment. A very powerful wave of emotion hit me uh, when I finally put my hand on her at the vet clinic and I realized she wasn't breathing anymore. Her her life was gone. Feeling, touching, staring at that lifeless body is just powerful because now in a very tangible and confronting way, I knew she was gone. I felt that there was no coming back from that. My beloved dog, she'll never greet me at the dog again with her tail wagging. I'll never be able to cuddle her on the couch anymore and nuzzle her soft fur again. It's final. The book is closed. And I know some of us here would have experienced that finality even more strongly. The death of a a family member, a close friend, maybe quite recently, maybe a while ago. But particularly if you've been in the presence of the body of someone who died, then you know how powerful that is, right? Some of you might even have been to an open casket funeral. And it can be quite confronting seeing a dead body before you But in a way, that finality can actually also be a good thing for those who are grieving, right? Seeing the lifeless body, the finality of that image can bring closure to those struggling with their grief and loss. That finality can help us to mentally and emotionally move on. It's final. The end. The book is closed. Let's go back to what the angel is telling the women now. Come, come and see the place where he lay. Come and see the empty slab of stone. The tomb is empty. See, what was once a decisively closed book in the eyes of the women, that finality of seeing Jesus' body being placed in the tomb, wrapped up for good forever, the stone rolling the tomb shut well, well now, that that tangible, that that confronting picture that they saw of Jesus' burial, now what they see before their very eyes is, tangibly, confrontingly, Jesus is not there. Death does not have the final word in Jesus' story. But it's not just that Jesus' body is not there anymore. The angels explain that you will see Jesus again. He has gone ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. So you can totally relate, right? You can totally totally relate to how these women are reacting now. They, they hurry away eager to tell the disciples. It says they were afraid yet filled with joy at the same time. Can you imagine that? What does it all mean? Could it actually be true? For three days they've been mourning. They've never dared to hope that they might see Jesus again. And now he's no longer dead? What's it all mean? Soon they'll see Jesus in Galilee? But then another surprise. Jesus appears to them much sooner than they thought that he would. Greetings, Jesus said. Must have been one of the most loaded hellos in history at that point. (laughs) Hello. And notice what the women do right away. They come to him. They clasp his feet, they hold on to his feet, and they worship him. They fell down, lay flat on the ground before Jesus. It's a sign of utter respect, of absolute submission to one who has authority. It's a sign that they are paying respect to someone who's more, much more than a mere human being, because Jesus isn't simply another ordinary human being that has come to life, as spectacular as that would have been. But now these women recognize that they are revering, they're worshiping someone who is divine. And notice that Jesus does not rebuke them, right? Because we've already seen snippets of Jesus claiming to be God in the Gospels, Uh, He's given the name Emmanuel at the very start, meaning God with us. He comes with this authority to forgive sins, something only that God himself can do. And then he demands complete allegiance, even over the most important relationships in our lives, our fathers, our mothers, our children even. And so now with Jesus' resurrection, see, Jesus' claims are no longer merely claims, right? Right? Someone who claims to be God but isn't, they deserve to die and stay dead. But now, Jesus' claims have been completely vindicated. His otherwise outrageous claims have been proven to be completely true. And so now again, as as the women face the one who deserves all worship, who is God himself, the one who has defeated death, Jesus repeats these wonderful words. Do not be afraid, but go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so let's fast forward a couple of weeks. They're now in Galilee, verse 16. And we see Jesus with his disciples at Galilee, just as he said. Some worshipped Jesus, just as Mary did, but still some doubted. Right? Not that they were unbelieving, not that they refused to believe, but they were hesitant. They weren't quite sure. So Jesus tells his disciples clearly what this means for them now, for those who would follow him. Now when we look at these verses, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, I'm sure you're like, "Yep, we've heard these verses before. Uh, We've heard multiple sermons. Even this year, Pastor Iggy has referenced these really important verses uh, a few times already. And there's so much to unpack here, isn't there? Uh, It it starts with Jesus declaring all authority in heaven has been given to him. Uh, Not a surprising claim, remember, considering what Jesus has just accomplished. When we consider all his teachings and all his works leading up to this very moment. Uh, There's a command to make disciples of all nations. The promises of God, the blessings of God being called God's people. Now the door has been opened wide. All nations, all peoples, all ethnicities are invited to come in, not just the Jews. Uh, And then there's an explanation of what making disciples looks like on the ground it's baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as we joyfully saw last week at Caleb's baptism, we saw the layer upon layer of symbolism and meaning that baptism has. It's declaring the truths of the gospel. Uh, But here in particular, We're we're pointed to the fact that this is the saving work of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father who loves us so much that He sends His one and only Son to save us. The Son, God Himself, whose death and resurrection washes away our sin, clean slate, white as snow. The Spirit who Jesus' promises will send to us, who now dwells in us, who follow Jesus who guides us, counsels us, comforts us as we now live new lives for God. This is the God that we are to witness to. This is the gospel we are to preach. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is simply shorthand for bringing the nations under the saving lordship of our God. But again, not just getting people through the door, so to speak, but teaching them all that Jesus has already taught them. It's not just information. It's not head knowledge, but it's teaching them to obey. It's a picture of continual transformation, the transformation of a community of followers of Jesus as they keep growing to be more Christ-like, as they keep repenting of their sins and grow in the love of their Saviour day by day. There's so much here, right? I can easily spend an hour going through each of these parts of the Great Commission, But I'm not going to do that today. Because I don't think our biggest barrier to living out the Great Commission is that we don't understand what Jesus is saying. Like I said before, many of us have heard many sermons on this very passage. We know exactly what they're saying. And even if you haven't heard many sermons on this passage before, these verses are clear enough, aren't they? Go go, make disciples, grow disciples, bring the nations under King Jesus. I mean, that's our very mission statement here at CP, isn't it? Right? Making devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory. That's what we're on about. That's what we preach about week in, week out. No, I don't think our main problem is that we lack an understanding of what Jesus is saying here. But I think the biggest obstacle to us living it out is that We just don't take it seriously enough. I wonder if you agree with that. Now, I need to be very careful here because I know many of us here are actually earnestly trying to live this out, right? You're constantly looking for opportunities to show how good God is to the world around you. Some of you groan. You weep when you look at your friends and your family and you see that they don't love God. They don't know Jesus. Some of you are praying for their salvation with tears running down your cheeks every day. Some of you are making decisions that revolve around God's kingdom, around how you can more effectively serve God with what God has given you. You are looking for the best job out there to enable you to best witness to God. You are spending your time and money on this in a way that these verses are brought to life in your own life. Many of you are already doing this. You take this seriously. And if that's you, can I just say keep going. Keep serving our risen Lord Jesus with all that you have. You can't go wrong with serving the one who has conquered death. But I do think that many of us, if not most of us, probably don't take this as seriously as we should. We should. And that includes myself, I must admit, as a a paid minister. At least, not all the time, but uh, maybe some of the time, we're not taking it as seriously as we should. But even though we know exactly what this passage says, it just isn't a priority for us, or perhaps not the top priority. And so what what I'd like us to think about this morning instead of going through all the details of the Great Commission is think about potential reasons why we might not be making this a priority in our lives. Why is it that while we know exactly what Jesus is saying here, how he wants us to respond to his wonderful gospel, his grace, why is it that when sermons like this come up on the Great Commission, our response is more typically, oh yeah, I should probably get on top of that, eh? Rather than, yep, that's exactly how I'm living. So here, here are a few suggestions of why this might not be the case. Uh, first, it's not a priority, I think, because we don't trust Jesus enough to give us eternal life. Right? We don't trust Jesus enough to give us eternal life. Uh, and so we're, we're maybe not stepping out boldly, right? Stepping out boldly to, to witness, to get out there, to share the gospel, because we have to protect this life that we have right now. We're just not sure that we really have the perfect life reserved for us, guaranteed for us in the future. And so we don't want to risk our relationships. We don't want to risk our friendships. We don't want to sell them. We don't want to do anything to threaten our job security or our careers. We feel that we have to to make the most out of this life. We have to hold on to tightly all the blessings that we have in this life and hold tight to them at, at all costs. We need to be enjoying this life. Extract as much value out of this life as possible because we can't be sure what's lying on the other side of the, of the grave for us. Is this why Matthew 28 isn't a priority for us? Or second, maybe we just have so many other concerns that seem so much more, more urgent and so much more important in our lives. I mean, we've got financial worries to think about. What's going to happen to the Aussie economy if this COVID situation doesn't resolve, resolve itself? What happens if we get another variant and another variant and it just never ends? Will my job be secure? What if the international political tensions that we're seeing at the moment reach a point where we, we see another global conflict? Right? What's going to happen then? With all the house prices just keep, keep, keep on moving up Will I ever be able to afford a house of my own? To buy land of my own? What if I'm always going to be renting for the rest of my life? And what about my kids? Can, can I save up enough so that my kids will be able to afford a home in their future? And so we strive with all our might. We work super hard so that we can overcome all these problems that we, we face in our lives. And so maybe all, all the worries of, of this life just seem so much more real to us. That they're reaching... Out to us in a way that is so tangible that reaching the nations with the gospel, well, that, that, that's a really distant concern for us. Is that why Matthew 28 might not be a priority in our lives? Or well, maybe we just aren't convinced that Jesus truly has been given all authority over heaven and earth. right? Yes, he has come back to life, but so what? There are so many other voices in our life that demand our attention, right? Uh, The voice of our parents, perhaps, warning us not to take this new faith, this new Christian thing too seriously. Make sure that you focus on the important things first, like financial security, your studies, getting a good job, whatever that might be. Make sure Jesus comes second. Maybe we hear the voice of the world's standards on right and wrong more clearly than the voice of Jesus is, right? We don't live out the Great Commission because we live out of fear. We are ashamed of the gospel because these other voices are so much louder. They sound so much more authoritative. Or maybe it's just that we, we don't like any authority over us, whether it be Jesus or someone else's, right? We want to keep living as if we are our own boss. We know, we know what's best for us, not Jesus. I wonder if any of these suggestions, reasons, excuses might resonate with you. And if so, then what's the solution? Well, as always, whenever we read the Bible, we need to make sure we read the Great Commission in its context, right? We don't detach the Great Commission from the historical fact that came just before it. And so what makes the Great Commission speak so powerfully into our lives? Well, it's the resurrection of Jesus, right? Because if we don't trust that Jesus can actually save us, that he has actually conquered death, we need to go back to the empty tomb. The resurrection is historical fact. The two Mary's grasped onto Jesus' physical feet. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. It's not like he's a whoop. oh, there you are, Jesus. Oops. He was a, it was a real physical body. The resurrection is real. And if you read the bits that we skipped this morning, I skipped a, a whole section in the middle. The disciples, Matthew, is so interested in proving that the resurrection is real, that even when there are counter stories trying to disprove Jesus' resurrection, they are so key. They want to highlight that that is not true. All of these events are real. Focus on the real, empty tomb of Jesus. And again, if we're so focused on the worries of this world, right? If we're more worried about all the other things that are wrong with our lives and in this world, then again, can I take you to the empty tomb? Because at the end of the day, the biggest problem that we face isn't the world economy, it isn't climate change, it isn't whether we can afford our home or not. As, as important as, as those things are, I don't want to dismiss them. I don't want to say they're not important, right? But even if we solve all these issues in our lifetime, if we somehow manage to have world peace, cure cancer, if we solve world hunger, If all these things are completely solved, then so what? (laughs) Because there's still one problem that we all face. We can never get rid of. We'll all die sooner or later. We will all face the tomb or the grave or cremation as the final chapter of our lives. If there is no resurrection, if there is no empty tomb, then so what? No, no. Go back to the empty tomb and see that the solution to our greatest problem ever, the one that we can never solve, that has been solved for us when Jesus rose from the dead. If you're not convinced by Jesus' claim that he has all authority, well, no surprises here. Go back to the empty tomb. All the so-called voices of authority in our world, they come and they go eventually. All the voices screaming and condemning others for not living their way, for not believing the things that they believe, they will eventually fade and be replaced by other screaming voices. But not the voice of the one who has overcome the grave. Not the voice of the one who has confronted and defeated sin and death. Because Jesus isn't like other powers that we think is ultimately corrupt, right? It's not like Jesus is not worth our respect and our obedience like other corrupt governments or whatever they might be that we fail to submit to. No, Jesus rose from the dead because he was the one that was truly innocent. He was the one who claimed to be God and actually was God. The one God who actually even humbled himself to the grave. The resurrection of Jesus proves that he is worthy of our submission and our obedience. And so today, as just as the angel led these two women into the tomb, likewise, will ye heed the call of the angel? Come and see. See the empty tomb. See that Jesus is no longer dead and realize what that means. All authority over heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. Death has been conquered. Sin has been dealt with once and for all. And if you are here today, and you've just realized that you haven't been taking the Great Commission seriously, then can I just ask that you take a moment and really ask yourself this question. Why? What am I missing? Why is it that I'm not obeying Jesus? Why isn't Matthew 28 more of a priority in my life? And then can I ask you to listen to the angels sitting at the entrance of the tomb. Come, see for yourself. Behold, the body is not there. And will you also, like the women, fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship? Come before the risen one and pray. Ask him to see. Ask him to let you see. Jesus for who he truly is, the conqueror of sin and death, the one who has all authority. Ask him to help you take his mission that he's given you seriously. And if you're here today and you're, you're ready to start taking Jesus' great commission seriously, then we can start here. Just think about what you have at the moment. What has God given you as you go? How can you be making disciples of all nations? What has God given you in your current stage of life? What opportunities, what people has he put in your life right now that you've never thought about before in terms of sharing the gospel with? Maybe you might not even have mentioned that you're a Christian to these people. And once you've found these people, once you've realized who these people are, will you pray for opportunities? look for opportunities, and pray for opportunities to live out your Christian life in a way that people will see Christ's love that he has already shown you, that, you, that they can see Christ's victory over death in your life. And of course, not just to, to live it out, but also to speak, to boldly proclaim the message that can bring about victory over death in their lives as well. But as we close today, as we close our series on Matthew today, let's reflect on Jesus' wonderful promise that he gives to those of us who are trying to live this out. Because Jesus promises us that he will be with us always until the very end of the age. Jesus doesn't leave us to our own devices. He doesn't say, see you guys, my job's done here. I'm going to sit with the Father now. You guys try your hardest while I take a break. No, Jesus promises that he will be with us as we go about doing this until the very end of the age. That even though he's not, no longer with us physically, he's gone, up, gone back to the Father, but he's nonetheless with us spiritually. He is still king over the world as we go about serving the king. His presence, his comfort, his power through his spirit will guide us as we live out Matthew 28. And so let us all take this mission seriously. Let us keep making devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're confronted by your message, by this picture of the empty tomb. Wow, that's so powerful, Lord. And it should be a powerful image for all of us. It shouldn't be something that is head knowledge that we know but we don't do anything with. And so, Father, we ask that all of us as as, as your people, and even for those of us who, who might not follow Jesus yet, that this picture, this image of the empty tomb would stay with us, and it will linger in our minds and it will really challenge the way that we are living to give us hope and courage if, if we are, are serving Jesus as King. But for those of us who, who, who might realize that living for Jesus and living out the Great Commission isn't our highest priority, may this lingering image, Father, may you use that to shake us up, to realize what a massive difference that empty tomb should make in our lives. And we thank you also that we aren't left to our own devices as we do this. That the one who has conquered death, the one who brings us forgiveness, the one who has paid for our sins and overcome death itself, he is with us always until the very end of the age. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. just as we've been reminded of Christ's victory over death itself, uh, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that his payment of sin was indeed effective. Sin has been defeated, death has been defeated. What better way for us to remember that than to celebrate communion